everybody, how's it going? This is Hub, and welcome back to another episode of Tighten Up the Defense, a podcast that would likely benefit from a tagline. As I believe I just mentioned, I'm Hub, and I hope you're having a fine time on this lovely, whenever the heck it is you end up listening to this. Me? I'm doing pretty good. The other night, I was closing down at work. I work in a movie theater, and in the lobby, there's this big disco ball. And as I was leaving, I turned off the disco ball and said aloud to myself, Well, guess it's time to turn off the old disco ball and head home. So, I think you see where I'm going with this. I now need to start a horror anthology called Tales from the Haunted Disco Barn. It's like a Tales from the Crypt style show, except for instead of a crypt keeper, it's a folksy old main farmer slash vampire slash disco aficionado. Probably got a name like Ezekiel P. Shadow Maven. And each episode he'll present a different tale of terror that took place in the supernatural community of Maine's rural disco scene in the 70s. I am actually very excited about this idea. Anyway, I've got to go write another episode of Tales from the Haunted Disco Barn. So, without any further ado, let's, uh, do this. Today's synopsis rhyme is submitted by First Name, Last Name. Will Terra fall for Beast Boy, though he's a misogynist? Hopefully not, but here's a synopsis. Synopsis. Thanks, First Name. I hope I can call you First Name. I feel like we're on a first name basis. New Teen Titans, number 42. Oh, wait. Actually, looks like the series has a new title. Tales of the Teen Titans, number 42. May, 1984. The Judas Contract, book one. The Eyes of Terra Markov. Written by Marv Wolfman. Trotted by George Perez. Inked by Dick Giordano. Lettered by John Costanza. Colored by Adrian Roy. And edited by Marf Wolfman and George Perez. Teen Titan Roll Call. Starfire. Wonder Girl. Beast Boy. Cyborg. Raven. Rob. Er, Dick. And Terra. Previously in the New Teen Titans. Way back in issue 21, our heroes first encountered the supposedly 700-year-old evil cult leader, Brother Blood. The sanguinary senior senior citizen kidnapped the Titans, then faked his own death in a way that seemed to legitimize his cult to the public and made the Titans appear foolish in the press. More recently, the surprisingly spry septicentennial cult leader came out of hiding and hatched an even more dastardly scheme. Well, perhaps more accurately, an exactly the same amount of dastardly evil scheme. This time, the perfidious pontiff made the Titans appear foolish in the press, kidnapped the titular teens, then faked his own death in a way that seemed to legitimize his cult to the public. Bad job, Titans! Fake your own death in a way that seems to legitimize your cult to the public once. Shame on you. Fake your own death in a way that seems to legitimize your cult to the public twice. Shame on the new Teen Titans. During the scuffle with Brother Blood, Raven, who for quite some time had been hesitant to use her powers for fear that they might trigger her nigh-omnipotent demonic bad dad to crawl out of his soul tummy and destroy the universe, revealed that she was now in full control of her mystic abilities and reveled in their use. Concurrent to the team's redundant misadventures with an occasionally dead religious leader, Dick Grayson, a.k.a. Robin, decided that after years of crime fighting as Batman's colorfully clad sidekick, he was ready to hang up his Peter Pan booties and short shorts and take on a new alias for his aerialist adventuring. 
After briefly trying out the persona of ordinary average guy Joe Walsh, Dick determined that until he decided on a new nom de guerre, the Titans could just call him Dick. Also, unbeknownst to our heroes, the team's newest recruit, a brash young earthbending orphan named Terra, was secretly a double agent who intended to betray the Titans and was working for the team's longtime foe Deathstroke, the super-powered assassin who uses 90% of his brain, but only 50% of his eyeballs. Gadzooks! How will Raven celebrate the fact that she is no longer afraid to use her mystical powers? Is Terra having second thoughts about her decision to betray her new teammates? And after facing down space aliens, demons, cultists, and super-intelligent apes with French accents, what new threat has Cyborg quaking in fear? Stay tuned to find out. Okay, so, by announcing that she is once again afraid to use her mystical powers, maybe she is. Maybe. But then Beast Boy acts like a total fuckwad. Damn it, Gar! And a potential visit from his grandparents. Donna Troy, a.k.a. Wonder Girl, is shooting photos of Starfire wearing a skimpy bikini to promote a local film festival. Several other of the Titans have gathered around to watch for various reasons. Dick, to be a supportive boyfriend to Coriander, Terra, to surreptitiously gain information about her teammates' private lives, and Beast Boy, to make lewd, creepy remarks about the fact that Starfire is wearing a bikini. The modeling session is a success, but Donna isn't the only one snapping photos. Throughout the shoot, and indeed throughout this entire issue, Tara is using some fancy contact lens cameras to sneakily take pictures for her boss Deathstroke. Shitty, but also pretty impressive, especially for 1984 technology. Later that afternoon, the group heads over to Donna's swanky apartment, where they meet up with the Amazonian adventurer's not-at-all-creepy divorced college professor fiancé, Terry Long. The respective participants in this February-December romance serve some refreshments to their guests and discuss the fact that they're having trouble deciding on a venue for their wedding ceremony. The problem is, Terry is worried that if many of the Titans show up in public together, it could compromise the crew's secret identities. Aw, that's cute. Terry thinks that's something that the Titans actually worry about. Beast Boy pipes up, and after saying some mildly creepy shit about how Donna should marry him instead, he offers his adopted family's palatial estate as a potential wedding site, mentioning that it would offer both seclusion and opulence. Great idea, Gar. Donna and Terry agree and thank the inappropriately amorous Emerald Adolescent. He tells them he's happy to help. I mean, I'm sure if any of the other Titans had access to their adopted family's mansion that was both lavish and surprisingly secure and private, they would have offered. Right, Dick? Right, Dick? Speaking of Dick, Donna asks her pseudonym-free friend if he would do her the honor of walking her down the aisle. Dick happily agrees. I bet he figures out a way to work some acrobatics into that aisle walk. Donna goes on to tell us that Raven is too shy to be a bridesmaid, but she's asked Starfire and Lilith. Hooray! We haven't seen Lilith since that supervillain hijacked her precognitive powers and somehow used them to steal Long Island. I hope she brings Ganark. Donna continues that, seeing as she has one slot open... She'd like to ask Tara to be one of her bridesmaids. Huh. I'm curious if Donna's sister Wonder Woman has any thoughts about Donna using the final slot in her wedding roster that way. Tara appears to be genuinely moved by the offer. Naturally, Gar uses this opportunity to creepily hit on her. Gross. The duplicitous dirt distributor next walks Dick home so that she can gain more information about the former boy Wonder. Naturally, Gar tags along and annoys the shit out of them. When they arrive at Dick's fancy penthouse apartment, the alter-ego-tripping aerialist says goodbye and heads upstairs. 
Terra and Garn next head to the park so that they can meet up with Cyborg. On their way, Terra asks Beast Boy why he's such a piece of shit all the time. Good question. Gar responds that he acts like an asshole because he's insecure. Oh, what a startling new take on the character. The false-faced firmament flinger tells Gar that he should knock it off and be more assertive, and that if he wants something, he should just take it. Goodness, that is some startlingly bad advice to give to somebody who has already proven themselves to be prone to sexual harassment. She's essentially just told him that he should act more like a duke in a romance novel. Bad Terra. When the two arrive at the park, they find Victor Stone, a.k.a. Cyborg, out ice skating with Sarah Sims, a pretty blonde lady who teaches at a school for disabled children. Since her introduction, Sarah and Vic have gone from having a strongly implied romantic relationship to a lightly implied romantic relationship, to a, what are you talking about? They never had a romantic relationship. I would say now they're back at having about a medium level of implied romance. Ah, the intricacies of subtextual interracial dating in early 80s comics. Anyway, they're pretty cute together. They've taken Sarah's class out to go ice skating on the pond, and everyone, including Sarah, thinks it's hilarious that Victor can't skate. As the class looks on in delight, Cyborg falls flat on his metal ass. The mortified mechanized Marvel expresses, as I would suspect he does on a regular basis, his gratitude that at least Beast Boy isn't there. But of course, Beast Boy is there. The shape-shifting shithead turns himself into a cartoon bunny and starts cracking wise at his bionic buddy's expense. To be fair, it's actually pretty funny. Still, damn it, Gar! You know, just on general principle. The trio of Titans head back to Victor's squalid apartment in an unspecified bad part of town. Vic mentions that his parents used to live in the area before they moved to a more affluent neighborhood, and that he moved back in hopes of helping revive the neighborhood and uplift the community. Good for him. Then he sees that he has received a telegram from his grandparents, who he hasn't seen since he was 15. They're planning on coming to visit in a month. Vic freaks out because apparently his grandma and grandpa are real assholes. Bummer. Having had a full day of spying on her teammates for her one-eyed, complimentary, color-clad partner, Tara heads back to the Titan Tower. Gar accompanies her, and as they're waiting for the automated ferry to arrive and carry Tara back to her T-shaped temporary home, the two teens smooch. Wait, what? I mean, it appears to be consensual, so I guess good for them, but really? Look, Tara, I know you're an unscrupulous traitor and it's heavily implied that you're an evil sociopath, but girl, you could do a lot better. When she arrives back at the tower, Tara seems to be in pretty good spirits. She swings by Raven's room and it's like, Hey Raven, how's it going? How come we never hang out? Raven responds, Because I'm like 99% sure that you're evil and plan on betraying the team. I haven't said anything to anyone because there's a tiny possibility that I'm just sensing my own residual evil from my demon dad hanging out in the tummy of my bird-shaped soul self. Kind of a cosmic whoever smelt evil dealt evil situation. But I'm pretty sure it's you. Also, this week I'm back to being afraid to use my powers again. Now, go away, please. Good talk. As she leaves the room, Tara silently swears to herself that she'll get revenge on Raven for thinking that she's evil. Presumably by doing evil stuff. That'll show her. The next morning, the Titans all do some training stuff. Cyborg insists on lifting a super-duper heavy weight. The computers all say it's too heavy for him to lift, but he ends up lifting it anyway, and then smashing it. Good for you, Vic. 
He explains that before he got all his robotic limbs and stuff, he used to be an athlete, and he was used to setting his own goals and constantly improving himself so that he could overcome his previous limitations. Ever since he got all roboted up, he's felt like he's had to live within the prescribed parameters of his new mechanized body, and that by exceeding those parameters, maybe he can assert some control over his situation and have a little more agency. Hooray! He doesn't explain how he managed to make his robot arms lift more than they're supposed to, but it's pretty cool, and I'm happy for him. Next, Donna and Starfire stand on a raft in the pool and hit each other with sticks. They seem pretty evenly matched and have a pretty good stick fight. Gar says some gross shit about how they should be mud wrestling because he's gross. I mean insecure. But also gross. Coriander hits Donna with her stick and Donna falls in the pool. Then Starfire jumps into the pool after her and the two friends hug. Aww. Then Gar says some more gross shit because fuck Gar. I mean, nah, I said that right. Next, everyone heads into the snow so that they can watch Terra and Gar use their powers against each other in a sparring match. The rest of the team seems pretty stoked to watch the Titans' most junior, and perhaps not coincidentally most annoying, members rough each other up a little bit. Surprisingly, Beast Boy takes an early advantage, turning into a falcon, an anaconda, a gopher, and a bear, keeping his ground-grubbing opponent off balance. Unsurprisingly, he does all this while groping and hitting on Terra in a way that she's clearly not into. In addition to that, once he appears to be winning the fight, Gar starts taunting and belittling Terra. Eventually, she snaps. Terra goes into full-on berserker mode and unleashes the full extent of her powers on the shitty green creep. She traps him in a dirt storm and then flings him into a boulder, knocking him the fuck out, and then keeps flinging him around and battering him with various rock formations. Hooray! She's about to direct a torrent of molten lava at her unconscious foe, when the rest of the Titans intervene. Aww. Cyborg grabs Gar out of the way, and Starfire evaporates the lava with one of her space fire punches. Wonder Girl grabs Terra by the shoulders and shakes the shit out of her, asking her what the fuck is going on. Terra snaps out of it and tells her horrified teammates that she wasn't in control of herself, but she's okay now. She says that Gar taunting and belittling her triggered her and took her back to when she received similar treatment at the hands of the terrorists who kidnapped her and told her that they were holding her father hostage. She snapped and went into some kind of a fugue state. When she was thrashing Beast Boy around just now, in her mind, she was fighting back against those terrorists, not Gar. But she's okay now, and she's super sorry. Eventually, the rest of the Titans believe her story. Except maybe for Raven, but she keeps her mouth shut about it. It's actually a little unclear to me the extent to which Terra's story is true. It would certainly be consistent with what little we know about her background if Terra was suffering from the effects of some sort of trauma. If she was in full control of herself, she probably wouldn't have tried to kill Beast Boy, seeing as that would be totally inconsistent with her goal of infiltrating the Titans and trying to gain their trust. On the other hand, it is Garfield Logan we're talking about, so she may have just really, really wanted to kill him and figured it was worth the risk. Tough to tell. An indeterminate amount of time later, Terra and Deathstroke, a.k.a. Slade Wilson, reconvene and compare notes at the Super Assassin's plushly appointed Ski Lodge. The two baddie buddies agree that while trying to kill Beast Boy was probably a tactical error, everything seems to be progressing according to plan. Slade warns Terra not to get too cocky, and Terra's like, whatever. Stop staring at that picture of your two blonde sons all the time. You know, your blonde sons, one of whom is dead, and the other one about whom we know nothing. That picture? Stop looking at it! Hmm. The diabolical duo head out to a waiting helicopter where they are joined by Deathstroke's butler, Wintergreen. 
Slade informs his companions that while he did accept a contract from the spicy poop rankers at Hive, the Hierarchy of International Vengeance and Eliminations, to assassinate the Titans, the contract is somewhat ambiguous and says that they can be brought in either dead or alive, and he hasn't figured out which way he would like to deliver his targets. Ah yes, that common form of assassination contract made specifically to appeal to catch-and-release assassins. Anyway, the bad guys pile into their helicopter, anxious to begin phase two of their nefarious plan. As the copter takes off, we pull back to see that this entire scene was being monitored closely by two spectators watching on a video monitor from a hidden location. The mysterious pair clearly bear Slade Wilson some animosity. All we know about them for sure is that one of them is a lady, and the other one has curly blonde hair. Huh. I feel like we were just talking about somebody with blonde hair. Oh well, that's probably just a coincidence. Hey Corey, who is several months behind on listening to this show and keeps asking me who the curly blonde haired dude on the cover of the trade paperback for the Judas contract is, it's not a coincidence. It's what you get for not listening. And joining us once again is my good-for-many-things brother, Corey. Corey, how are you doing? I'm okay. How are you? I'm doing pretty good, overall. Yeah. Still consumed with this Tales from the Haunted Disco Barn idea, but other than that, pretty good. Good. So, what'd you think of this comic? I thought it was pretty good. Man, Gar is just up to his old garbage. Yes, garbage. indeed. Yeah, yeah, no, I get it. Yeah. And that's why they call it that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I found that unsettling. There was a lot of shit that I found less than ideal about this issue. But overall, not that bad. A lot of good clothes. There really were a lot of fashion choices. High fashion. Very specific fashion choices made in this issue. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, let's get into it. Sure. So, this has been one of the most anticipated storylines in Teen Titans comics. I think possibly the most high-profile Teen Titans tale so far, the Judas contract. I've had people asking when we were going to get to it, basically since we started the Teen Titans podcast back when we were Teen Titan Wasteland. And here it is. I don't think it's that fair to judge much of it on this issue because most of this issue is just kind of resetting what we already knew. And it kind of makes sense. If you're beginning what you see as a new self-contained story arc, which this is, it tells you at the outset, this is going to be a story in four parts. It describes itself as a four-part novel. So it makes sense to reintroduce the characters and reset everything. But if you've been reading the story from the beginning, it's nice to get a bit of a palate cleanser after the end of the Brother Blood storyline. But... I think this goes a little too far. Mm, too clean of a palate. Yeah, I, I, I want a little bit of residual flavor left in my mouth from the past 41 issues. Okay, <laughs> too much sherbet? Yeah, man. I, I want a sherbet, not a sorbet. Ah. I do not know the difference between those things. Sherbet is, I believe, made with dairy, and a sorbet is not. Hmm. All right, your story checks out. Thank you. So we get a new inker on this issue. Uh, in the last issue, it was done by George Perez, but most of the series has been by a guy named Romeo Tengal, and I grew to really appreciate him over the years, and I'm going to miss him. Likewise. Uh, what do you think of the job Dick Giordano did? I can't put my finger on it. There is a difference between the two. Um, it's fine. It's good. 
it's just different. It is different, and it's going to take me a little bit of time to get used to. I really like Dick Giordano's inks on a lot of things. I'm most familiar with the work he did on Batman. He has a cleaner, like, smoother line style than Romeo Tangal does, which is fine, and it's something that I normally really appreciate, especially from this era of, like, early 80s DC art. But it did create one problem with me specifically for this issue, which is that it makes some of the characters look younger than they did before. And I think that's especially a problem when you have them being more overtly sexualized in this issue than we've often seen them before, both with Starfire and with Terra when she's vamping it up, when she's hanging around with Deathstroke. And it's kind of unsettling. It's a slightly, not really cartoonish, but just a cleaner line style. And yeah, I think some of the more sexy dialogue and depictions of the characters is because Wolfman and Perez are their own editors at this point. And when you couple that with a slightly younger looking cast, it's kind of weird. Yeah, not new that the relationship between Tara and um, Deathstroke is gross, but it's it felt a little grosser. Yeah, because it felt pretty gross before, but it looked grosser, kind of. Just, yeah, I don't know. And Starfire, especially in the opening pages, she is drawn in a bikini. She's modeling for a film fest, I guess, which is, it's a fun image and it's fine that she's sexy, but it is weird that it makes her, with the smoother lines, she looks younger than she has previously. Mm. And it was just kind of jarring to me a little bit. Well, at least Beast Boy didn't act weird about it. Beast Boy is such a piece of shit in this issue. He raises, or rather lowers, the bar even for himself, I feel like. He's a real fucking creep. Wants to marry Donna. Wants to have 128 and a half babies with Starfire. Wants to make Donna and Starfire mud wrestle. After he has just kissed Terra and had, like, a nice, like, kind of cute moment for him. Like, where he's like, woohoo, she likes me! Mm -hmm. And then, yeah, is immediately back to, in front of her sexualizing his friends and like yeah oh yeah that's the stuff and then when they have their practice fight he's a total he's a total jerk like yeah lascivious creepy jerk to her while they are trying to injure each other which yeah there's a way to do like the the flirty banter back and forth this isn't it because it isn't mutual despite the fact that they may have some kind of a mutual relationship at this point they are not engaging in that type of banter with each other it is him being a creepy jerk and making i i would assume making her uncomfortable at the least making her angry and so it's kind of nice to see him get the shit beat out of him because this is kind of a reset issue and much of the issue seems to just be going through the various characters and reminding everyone of where they are at this point let's Let's just do that ourselves. All right. Let's start with uh, Donna. Okay. Donna's getting married soon. Mm-hmm. She's in a relationship with Terry Long. And a lot of the framework of this is Tara spying on people with her little camera in her eyeballs. She's newly gained the secret identity information about the Teen Titans, and she's just kind of exploring that a little more. So through her eyes, as this whole issue, as the title tells us, is viewed, we see that Donna is independently wealthy because of her mom on Paradise Island. Mm -hmm. Definitely getting into a, to me, kind of strange area of domestic bliss with having people coming to the apartment and she and Terry showing up with these trays and being like, who wants cocoa and sandwiches? 
Yeah. And it, then not getting mad when whoever it is says, ooh, peanut butter. I'm like, fuck you, man. I made you a sandwich. <laughs> yeah, no shit. Well, here's what I'm wondering, though. Previously, when Donna entertained guests in her apartment, she made a point of informing them, would you like a free soda? Oh, they this were time she just says, would you like hot cocoa and sandwiches? I don't know what she was charging for those sandwiches. Maybe that was the source of the complaint. It could be, or it, maybe it was like a haggling technique. Mm. If he's like, I don't know what I'm going to get charged for these sandwiches. Like, maybe I'm like, well, this looks like a pretty good sandwich. I wish it was roast beef. I'll give you a dollar for it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like meat in the middle. Like it's not dollar. really clear who is complaining about the sandwich, though. It looks like it's coming out of the couch. Yeah. I'm pretty sure it's supposed to be either Beast Boy or Terra. I think it's probably supposed to be Beast Boy because Terra gets the next line. Mm-hmm. And it isn't a sandwich complaint. But, yeah, the word bubble seems to be going to... Possibly Beast Boy's foot or possibly the couch. Because I kept going back and just being like, who's being that big a dick? It's mm-hmm. got to be Beast Boy. Doesn't look like it's Beast Boy, but it's got to be Beast Boy. Yeah, it was confusing. That said, uh, what else about Donna? She's she's good in this issue. I like that she doesn't give up and she has that stick fight on the mattress in the pool with Starfire. It is a weird choice of a uh, fight scene. It kind of reminds me of the scene in Flash Gordon where they're on the uh, rotating dais that is hovering over the thing. I wonder if they were trying to reenact that and we're like, well, we do have the anti-gravity technology, so we could make a weird hover tilty thing, but we could also just put a mattress in the pool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so she doesn't like to give up, but she's gracious in defeat. She mm-hmm. gets her butt kicked again by Starfire. Mostly in this, she is planning her wedding. Mm-hmm. There are a couple of salient details about the wedding plan. One, she asked Tara to be one of her bridesmaids. Which freaks Terra the fuck out. Yeah, it's once an, another source of, are we supposed to think Terra is questioning whether or not to betray the team? I don't know. Maybe. Maybe. I'm still on the fence. I'm still on the fence, and I'm not sure if she's supposed to still be on the fence. We see that Raven doesn't want to be part of the wedding. And I took a note to myself on that, because sometimes people ask you to do things, you don't want to do them. Yeah. Like when people get married and you don't want to go. Yeah. But usually go. But Raven says, no, it's too awkward. I can't go. (laughs) Sorry. Yeah. And everybody's like, oh, of course. Yeah. I don't feel like that would be people's reaction in general. Like, say you were, if you weren't married, you were getting married. Right. And you're like, come to my wedding. I'm like, oh, I can't. The anxiety. Yeah. You're like, dude, you don't have anxiety. (laughs) Yeah. You just don't want to go to a wedding. Okay. It won't work. But what I'm very excited about is Lilith is going to be coming to the wedding. So we'll get to see Lilith again. Oh, I do. First, when you said that, I was like, wait, Lilith from Cheers? And then I remember. No, not Lilith starting in Crane. Yeah. Lilith, last name long forgotten from the comic book. Yeah, that's right. I'm soaked. We're going to get to see her again. We also see that she asks uh, Robin, or I'm sorry, he's not Robin anymore. Dick. Dick. To give her away, which is nice. I I mean, I think it's a nice gesture, and I do like the relationship between Dick and Donna. But it's kind of weird to me how into, like, traditional gender roles and shit she is about her wedding when she grew up on an island that was a matriarchy. So even if you discount the whole, like, being given away by your dad to your new owner, (laughs) (laughs) your husband, which... It's a weird thing. I know it's a tradition that a lot of people have embraced and gone with, but it does seem kind of weird to me. Mostly it's weird to me that it's not weird for Donna, who, you know, grew up in a matriarchy on Paradise Island, that she wouldn't, if she is going to be given away, 
have somebody walk her down the aisle that was Wonder Woman, say, her mentor, or her mom, Hippolyta. It just seems kind of odd. Maybe it's a reaction. Like, if your parents are super liberal, then you're gonna oh, go be Oh, right. Really She's, like, rebelling against Paradise Island by embracing traditional U.S. gender roles. Mm-hmm. She's like, fuck you, mom. I love the patriarchy. Yeah. I hope she grows out of that. Me too. The other possibility is that it's just like she's pretty laid back about the whole wedding thing she's like yeah i don't really know where we're gonna have it it's coming up in a couple of months and beast boy's like you can have it in my house she's like yeah okay sure whatever it could be that the whole like big wedding thing is just kind of her going along with terry and just being like well this ceremony doesn't really mean all that much to me not in terms of what it represents as us getting married but in terms of like, this tradition is very important to you, so okay, we can just go along with whatever and I'll leave the details to you. Kind of like if when we got married, it was very important to Lisa that we have a Jewish wedding. I, I would be like, okay, well, that's not my thing, but that's important to you. So, okay, I'll just like fill in these blanks of mm-hmm. the things that are left to me. I guess I need to do this. I need to make a hoopah. Step on a glass. Yeah. Okay. I need to have a dude walk me down the aisle. Oh, Okay. I don't really have a... I mean, I guess I could go with my person that I just found out was my first adopted mom's new husband. That seems a little bit forced. We just met a few issues ago. Mm. Was that guy's name Phil? Oh, yeah. He was a funny guy making yeah, dad seem, jokes. Seems like a nice guy makes some good dad jokes, but, you know, we're not really that close. I've known Dick the longest, so Dick, I, I guess it's you, mm-hmm. you know? So that whole exchange about the place of where to have the wedding clued me into something which gave me a little bit of a newfound respect for terry long oh yeah which is that i think he's the only one of this bunch that understands how disguises work because <laughs> he's like it's hard to find a place you guys have secret identities blah 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 some of you are harder to disguise than others <clears throat> starfire and they're all like what oh oh <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> We also find out that Donna is self-employed as a freelance photographer and makes her own hours so that she can do her Titan stuff whenever she wants. Which is nice, and also, especially if she's in a position where she doesn't really need the money, makes sense for her to have a freelance position rather than a steady gig. Mm -hmm. So, that's cool. Let's move on to Dick. He's pretty good in this issue. Yeah, he's, I don't know, he seems a little aimless. He's just like, okay, I'm not superheroing anymore, so I'm just going to hang out. Yeah, in the bird's nest. Yeah, that was pretty funny. But the things that we do see him be are very supportive of Starfire when she's wearing her bikini. And he's like, yeah, it's very revealing, but I think you look great. And if you want to have your picture taken that way, that's totally cool. And that's really nice. And he's very honored that Donna asked him to walk her down the aisle. And I really like the relationship between Dick and Donna. And I like the fact that really at no point in the like close to 100 issues of the Teen Titans has there been any real romantic connection or any attempt to shoehorn in a one's a dude, one's a lady. They're the same age. Therefore, they should date. They should be in love. They should have some romantic tension. There was never that between them. And they just have a very close, loving relationship. And I really like that about them. It is nice to see that. The artwork in this is great, too, where when she asks him his face, like, normally it's, it's really cartoonish when characters are overjoyed and surprised at the same time, and uh-huh. I, I felt like it was drawn pretty well. Yeah, it was restrained. I think that works, especially for a character like Dick, who control is as big an issue as it is. That makes sense to have him be reining it in a little bit, but still you can definitely tell that he's honored. Mm-hmm. 
Overall, I really like the way that Dick has been acting in the past few issues. I guess not when he was being mind-controlled. I didn't like that he tried to kill all of his teammates, but... He overpowered that, though. Yeah, so, you know, good job. I'm curious where the new non-Robin Dick is taking us, but so far, so good. I like him. Non-Robin Dick. Yep. The other thing that Dick does that I really like is that he tried to give away Gar. I think that's a fun kind of joke to make if you've been like, oh, I get to give people away. Okay. Uh, hey, anybody want a Gar? Tara, you want Gar? Here, I give them to you. She's like, no thanks. Nope. Yeah, I would totally make that kind of joke. It's also the reason why I would like to be a judge, so that I can make that kind of joke with whenever anybody says something, either saying sustained or overruled. You can still say that. Yeah, I know. It doesn't have quite the same gravitas. Get a judgy robe. Yeah, I should get maybe a powdered wig. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Just like a fashion powdered wig. Wait, what's a fashion one versus a... Well, a functional one. Huh? Uh, I think a functional one would have more pockets. Oh man, I don't know much about wigs. Yeah, there's a lot to learn. I guess maybe I'm not ready to be a judge just yet. Okay, goals. Vic Stone! Cyborg! I like Vic in this story. He's a lot of fun. He's smashing limits uh-huh. and magnetic things. He's falling down and getting made fun of by kids and Cause, threatening cause them. Because he's bad at skating and uh-huh. he, he fun threatens them. Yeah. That's a good time. It was a good time. Yeah, he's got a fun relationship with Sarah. She's very flirty with him. She is, although... This is something that happens a bunch of times. I talked about how this is a reset issue in a lot of ways, and that's fine. But I feel like it just kind of goes back to Sarah and Vic's relationship, keeps going back to square one and not advancing anywhere. And I feel like we're kind of back to where they were when they initially met. And I would have liked to have seen it either advance more or move on to something else if that's what they're going to do with it. That being said, I like their relationship. It's just... I would like there to be more progress in general with these characters. And Vic makes a good attempt at this in a lot of ways in this issue. Before, we have seen that his issues are that he's angry all the time, and he got over that. And now that's not one of his issues that he's constantly struggling with. In this one, we see a new one, which is one that makes sense for his character, that he used to be an athlete, and as such, he was used to setting goals for himself and pushing at himself to achieve and break through them. And since he has been robotified to the extent that he has, he wants to kind of reestablish more agency in his life and not feel like he has these literally pre-programmed limitations. And I think that's really cool. And I think that's a struggle that makes sense for him and an arc that makes sense for him. And I wish there was more of that with some of the other characters. It is also interesting that his grandparents are coming to visit for the first time. And he Since is he was 15. Terrified. He is terrified And it would also make sense for him to be more than a little pissed off, I would think, because he hasn't seen them since he was 15. What's happened since he was 15? Oh, let's see. The near death of everybody. The actual death of both of his parents. The reconstruction of his body after his near death. Yeah. Seems like he's been through some shit that maybe his grandparents, if they're going to be controlling in a big part of his life and tell him what to do, should have been there for. Like... I don't know, man. Are you controlling or aren't you? If you're going to be controlling, you got to be there for people. Regardless, the fact that neither one of them showed up for their child's funeral, that's pretty fucked up. Yeah, but they were far away. Are they in Rangoon? Yeah, eating cream cheese filled fried wonton skins. Mm. Well, I can see why that would be difficult to tear yourself away from. I mean, I'm sure I will love whatever children I have if I ever have children, but more than I love a fried cream cheese filled wonton. And it is a long flight. That's true. 
Okay, let's move on to Raven. Oh. <laughs> oh, 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 oh. <laughs> it's hard to be a Raven. Oh, boy. But she does good. Does she? In her... Well, no, she does a terrible job, but, like... I don't know. You're just like that she doesn't have to go to a wedding. I love that she doesn't have to go to a wedding. <laughs> I also just like how raveny she is in this issue, where, like, when Gar is flirting with, with Tara, and Raven's just, like, standing at the window being like, don't do that. It's a bad idea. <laughs> that's I'm not, not when he's flirting with outside. her. That's when, she's, that's when he's, like, taunting her after he beats her up. Oh, right, right. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think he's kind of thinks he's flirting, like, when he's got okay, her wrapped up yeah. as a giant snake, and he's like, I'm going to kiss you with my gross snaky face. And she's like, ah, right? gross. And Raven's just like, don't do that. <laughs> oh, I'm not going to come down and tell you. I'm just going to think that from inside this window. Okay. That is a fine thing for Raven to do, I guess. Very Raveny. I feel like she needs to get, like, one of those signs that has two signs on it that's, like, open or closed. In this issue, I am in control of my powers. And on the other side, it says, In this issue, I am not in control of my powers and am very terrified of using them or my dad will come out of my tummy and destroy the world. That's a bigger sign, I guess. But in the very last issue, she was like, I no longer am fearful of using my powers. In fact, I revel in them. And then in this issue, I can never use my powers or Trigon would come out. And in the issue before that, it was, I can never use my powers again or my dad might come out. She's wishy-washy too in that, well, okay, back up a little bit. I love how direct she is with Terra when Terra <laughs> comes and's like, hey, what's up? We haven't hung out much. You say direct, I say bad at small talk. <laughs> two sides of a coin i suppose but again the reason is and she's like well yeah i don't like you because i think you're evil but it might be my dad in my belly so i don't know tara comes in and says what you doing praying to some indian god or something i am not indian i am from azeroth i bet that happens to her all the time i mean at least partly because yeah she is wearing what appears to be a bindi on her forehead mm -hmm. and wears a sari around mm-hmm do you think that's the way people dressed in Azeroth, or do you think that she is, like, appropriating Indian culture? Well, that's a sticky wicket. I don't know. Yeah. Anyway. Tara comes in. And it's like, say, how come you and me never talk? You're the only one I really don't know. And Raven responds conversationally. I have always sensed corruptness in you. A feeling of inner evil. <laughs> so basically she's like, hey, how come we never talk? How come we're not closer? And Raven's response is, oh, it's because you're evil and corrupt. That's why. Yeah, then she does go on to say, like, maybe you're not really evil. Maybe it's just I'm sensing my evil dad because he's in my tummy. I don't know. But I'm pretty sure you're evil. And the only reason I haven't told everybody that I think you're evil is because I'm not totally sure. But as soon as I am, I'm totally telling everybody that you're totally evil. Bye! So she's also totally not taking her own advice here in the sense that like, she thinks to herself, well, she's not giving Gar advice either, but she thinks, like, oh, Gar, don't go there. <laughs> but she just totally went there. Like, Tara is going to be like, oh, I'm going to get you. Yeah, and that is absolutely her response. As soon as she leaves, she makes an angry face and is just like, oh, I'm going to kill that raven for knowing that I'm evil. Mm -hmm. Also, as soon as she's just like, I sense evil and corruptness in you, Tara's response to that is, what are you trying to say? That you think I'm a spy who's trying to infiltrate the Teen Titans? Because I'm possibly, not a spy. Possibly by working for Deathstroke the Terminator? Because that's not what's happening. No. She's such a bad spy. She is. 
But yeah, mostly it's just frustrating that Raven, I feel like, is stuck in this loop as a character and has been since like issue 17 or 18, where she's afraid to use her powers. And then for a few issues, she'll get to this point where she'll be like, it's okay if I use my powers. It's difficult. But at one point, the rationale was I'm going to be corrupted and turned evil at some point. So I want to do as much good as I can before that happens. I was like, oh, that's an interesting take on her. And then and then she went back to being afraid to use her powers. And then after that, she's like, I'm not afraid to use my powers. I've worked through all my shit and I'm going to try to kick Brother Blood's ass. And then now she's back to, I can never use my powers. I don't don't trust my powers and I'm afraid of them. It's just frustrating. Yeah, the whole nature nurture thing on Azeroth is screwed up. Mm. Or was it maybe not Azeroth? Wherever Trigon's from. Trigon's not from Azeroth, but he's made up of Azerathian's bad parts. That's right. He's like Azerathian sausage. Like, they only want to take the Azerathian steaks up to Azeroth with them. So they cut out all of their evil and snouts and assholes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> Tossed them into the void, and they ended up forming a Trigon, and now he's, he's out to get everybody. Mm-hmm. Okay. So he's like genetically Azerathian sausage. So yeah, that does, it totally mixes up the whole, I don't like this idea that like, oh, my dad was a jerk, but I've never really spent that much time with him. So, but I'm a jerk because my dad was a jerk yeah. kind of thing. But then again, if my dad was the evil sausage, that yeah. kind of changes things. A little bit. Yeah. Maybe it is genetic. Tough to tell. Huh. She, she's in a real pickle there. Yep. Real sausage pickle. And that's Raven. Yep. Let's talk about Gar. Okay. Fuck that guy. Yep. Uh, he's a real creepy jerk when he sees Starfire in a bikini. He's like, oh, don't listen to them. You look gross. You should take that thing off. And then he's like, Donna, you made a big mistake. You should have married me. Then he is weird and creepy and gross with Tara, too. And is like, hey, let's hug and kiss. And then they actually do hug and kiss at a later point when they're hanging out. And then he, when Donna and Starfire are fighting, he tells them that they should be mud wrestling. And when, when they hug, he says it's a waste of two good hugs. Yeah. Well, then he gets really creepy and aggressive and sleazy with Terra when they are fighting each other. And then he gets nearly beaten to death, which is terrific. I was really, I, I know I wasn't supposed to be, but I was like, yeah, fucking get him. There was this weird part and it was before the kiss when they're walking and, and Terra's like, basically tells him like, hey, you're a dick all the time. Why is that? And, you know, he says something like, oh, it's because I'm insecure. Yeah, which is another point that I was talking about, about characters reverting to their previously established character that in previous arcs they had allegedly worked through and worked beyond. Mm -hmm. Because that is definitely Beast Boy's default setting is, oh, I act this way because I'm insecure. At several points before, there have been whole story arcs that dealt with him working through that. And now he's not insecure anymore. But then he keeps cycling back to being, well, that's just who he is. Mm -hmm. And it's really frustrating, especially because it makes him act like a dick. Mm -hmm. But when he is talking to Tara and they're having that talk and he's like, yeah, I'm just insecure. That's why I act this way. I got my powers by accident. Yeah, so did Cyborg. You don't see him being a dick about it. Mm -hmm. Tara gives him some advice that I'm not sure if it's supposed to be like her egging him on romantically or her just giving him general life advice. She's like, you need to go out and get whatever you want and be assertive. Now, is she supposed to be like, is that like her flirting with him? Because it does play out that way later when they do kiss. 
Or is it her just kind of saying, this is my life philosophy. This is a little tiny peek at who I am and why I act the way that I act. I think like a lot of teens at this point in history, she had just read The Fountainhead. Oh. And she was just going that direction with yeah. things. That does make sense, because there is that line right after she says, In this world, pal, you want something, you go for it. Who is John Galt? So, yeah, <laughs> right? that, that that makes a lot of sense. Did I tell you about the Anne Rand-inspired children's book that I wanted to write? Oh, no. It's the same book as The Giving Tree, and it has all of the same illustrations, but it's called The Heroic Taking Boy. <laughs> <laughs> kind of writes itself. Yeah. Yeah. He's got to get the rights to those Shel Silverstein illustrations. I'm sure just give him a call. He'll understand. Yeah. That book is a fucking bummer, man. It totally is. My mom, like my one of my uncles gave that to her when she was pregnant. And she was like, what? So I'm just going to get to be a used up old fucking stump? That's all I am now? Mm. She had a really strong reaction to that. And I get it. Yeah, it bummed me out. Yeah, it's a bummer of a book. Mm -hmm. I mean, unless you do read it from the perspective of like, hey, neat, this kid gets to take a lot of shit. Nice. He just went out there and took what he needed. Yeah. Mm. The Heroic Taking Boy by Tara Markov. So that's Tara. Wait, no, we were on Garth. Yeah, we were on Gar, but I think we're done with Gar. Okay. I'm, I'm was there anything else you wanted to say about Gar? Okay, wait, actually, he did make an actually funny joke. When Vic fell down on the ice, he showed up and he appeared as Thumper mm -hmm. from Bambi mm -hmm. and said what Thumper said when Bambi fell down kind of wobbly isn't he which that really did make me chuckle it's cute he turns into a cartoon bunny but that does bring up something weird so he can turn into cartoon animals whoa because later on uh tara calls him chewbacca when they're fighting and he says that's a little out of my wheelhouse but i could do these animals I'm like no you already demonstrated you can turn into fictional animals a cartoon rabbit is not a rabbit you could turn into a wookie why doesn't he turn into a wookie more that's another thing I'm mad at Gar for now. Well, a cartoon rabbit is still a rabbit, and a Wookiee does not exist, as far as we know. Psh, Corey, you're so naive. I am? Let me take you to this website about chemtrails. It'll show you about how Wookiees really do exist, and they faked the moon landing. The Wookiees faked the moon landing? Of course the Wookiees faked the moon landing, Corey. God, so naive. Do you think that steel really melts at that temperature? Oh, I am a sheeple after all. Oh, you're a shurson. Time to get shorn. <laughs> so Starfire doesn't really do a whole bunch. She has a nice fight with Donna. She reestablishes that she is a very pretty lady who is a model and that she is also a very fierce warrior. And she's nice. And she's nice. She is great in this issue. Plays off gar's creepiness in a way that i think does kind of maybe like through some kind of a politeness judo puts him in his place a little bit because when he's being super creepy for, towards her she's just like oh you're so silly i don't know if that's her just deflecting and just being like uh, i can't confront this head on i'm in a situation where i'm surrounded by people and nobody's telling him to stop doing this so i'm gonna play it off like it's okay but also in a way that lets him know that i am not responding to this in the way that he wants it felt forced and i felt bad for her in that situation yeah i didn't care for that either i think she should just shoot him in the face with a star bolt and maybe kill him or just like a like a taser strength one yeah just like whenever he's like hey I mean, oh yeah like get him a shot collar mm -hmm. yeah, yeah I think every that's time a good idea. and then yep. he'll just learn yeah. Whack him on the nose with a rolled up newspaper. Mm-hmm. Bad Gar. Yeah, rub his face in it. No. No. No, Gar. No. That is not how you talk to people. Bad Gar. Yeah. 
But Starfire is fine in this issue. As I said, it reestablishes some of the salient points of her character in a way that makes sense. Indeed. Tara. Man, I am on the fence about this character. Like, I feel like the Titans being nice to her is just chipping away at her being a jerk. Maybe. But I don't know. Maybe not. Maybe not. We should start a maybe count in this comic. There's a lot of maybes. She has one paragraph where she has a maybe and a maybe. Mm, Inconsistent. Well, I think maybe that's her fluctuating. Could be. I think maybe, maybe Tara is thinking, oh, I shouldn't betray these Titans. But maybe Tara is like, Nah, fuck these guys. Beast Boy's a dick. Do you think she kissed him because uh, she's just trying to mess with people or because she likes him? Uh, I mean, I go back and forth. I want to think and I think there is textual support for she is fucking with him. He has demonstrated that he is easily manipulated and I think that maybe she is manipulating him. And I kind of hope that's what's happening. I don't want this to get the I broke the first rule. I really did fall for you. Mm. Which I think is probably what they're trying to set up. It's a good cover. It's a really cool cover, and it's a really cool title. The Eyes of Tara Markov. Book one. The Judas Contract. Book one. But yeah, her eyes are superimposed in red over six video capture screens that she has taken with her eyeball cameras of Cyborg and Dick and Raven and Donna and Starfire and Beast Boy and Slade. And it's really cool looking. So, Corey. Yes. Who do you think those people are at the end? Who are those people? On the cover of the compendium, the trade paperback, is a blonde dude with curly hair and a weird outfit. Hmm. And you think that's the same dude that we we see part of a blonde head? That's all I got to go on. Fair enough. Good guess. I don't know. I hope that they're going to prevent whatever evil shit Slade is up to because I like the Titans. I don't want them to get hurt by him and he seems like a bad person. Okay. You ready to get into the minutia? I think we have to. All right. Rick, would you mind singing us in? We got minutia. It's not the biggest part. It's just minutia. Like Corey eating farts, we got minutia. Time to sweat the small stuff. Thanks, Rick. So, what's your favorite sound effect? This is a weird instance in which I just only wrote one down. Oh. I normally have several. Mm Mm-hmm. And uh, this one I went with when a cyborg smashes through this giant thing and is being super cool. And it makes the noise, Scraboom! Scraboom. Yeah. We've had a lot of variations on the Scraboom, Spaboom. And now we have Scraboom. Interesting. I like that one. I went with Click because it confused me. There were so many clicks. There were so many clicks, and it seemed to be every time Tara was taking a picture with her eyeball cam. Mm -hmm. Now, I understand that a picture makes a click noise when you take a picture, but if your spy eyeball camera, when you look at something, makes a click noise, do none of the other Titans notice that that's happening? Is it a metaphoric click? Is it just, maybe it sounds louder in her head? It was mostly just confusing to me because I'm like, is she just that bad a spy that she's just like, These are also the days before digital cameras, which means that he had to take the whole eyeball out to put in like a thing with film and everything. No, he had lenses that did it. I, I don't know how he did it, but we saw that it was like basically through a contact lens a couple well, of Well, it should ago. certainly not be making that much of a click noise. One would, one would not think that it would, but... I guess it did, because I can't think of another reason for the click. 
Because otherwise us humble readers might not understand that the picture was being taken. I guess. Maybe Wolfman was listening to uh, the album Just Can't Stop It by the English Beat that has that song click, click, click. Oh, that's probably it. It's a very catchy song. It is. I'm honestly more of a special beat service man because that's the album that has the song Jeanette on it. That's a good song. It is a good song. I don't know. I'll like, sit lunch net, kitchen at lid. I bet I get a hamburger again. <laughs> Isn't that a fun way to sing? <laughs> oh, jeez. We met in the laundrette, kissed beneath the edge, no sweat, no thread, now the one in the back of the net. It's beautiful. What did you have for this issue's timestamp? Ah, oh, man. They came fast and furious, uh, roundabouts, page 18. I had. Wookies, I had Care Bears and Chevy Chase. Uh-huh, and don't forget haagen being referenced liberally. It was very much in the 80s zeitgeist of was this yuppie culture. All those ads with the, the guilty lady, like, I ate all the haagen came out. <laughs> That's a beautiful impression. <laughs> That's what they sound like, right? Yeah, I think so. Okay. All right, you try it. What's a guilty 80s lady sound like? I ate all the haagen <laughs> no, no, no. That's what the bad guys from the Hostess Fruit Bike Theater sound like. Oh, I mix them up sometimes. Um, I ate all the haagen with my shoulder pads. That's what the 80s lady sounds like. That's so... Like, what? using them as, like, a scoop to get it out of the pint? Yup. Gross. Hey, that's why she feels bad. Oh, man, I'd feel bad, too. And also, the Care Bears reference, which you mentioned, was he trying to imply that he had a picture of a dick on his Care Bear heart? Because because you guys can't see us, I'm staring and blinking at Hub in a perplexed manner. Right I now. thought you just had allergies. <laughs> what Gar says is because he turns into a bear, and it's in the context of him hitting on her repeatedly as he is fighting her. He turns into a bear, pops out of the ground and says, here comes one of the Care Bears. Want to see what I got hidden on my heart? What else would he be implying if he's not trying to say that he's got a picture of a dick on his heart? Because that sounds like what he's trying to imply, but I don't know what that would mean. Unless he literally just has a picture of a dick on his tummy. I think he didn't think it through. He's like, this sounds kind of hitting on, yeah. but... Yeah, I think it was just a bad... My favorite read on Gar is definitely the one where he doesn't understand what sex is or what sexy is, or how to imply it, or what it entails. So maybe it just, like, reads into that where he's just like, this sounds vaguely naughty. I'll say it without this, thinking it through. Yeah, yeah, this is in, 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 um, what's that word? Innuendo-ish. Yeah, yeah, this is a single entendre. It's not even a single entendre, it's a non-entendre. Mm-hmm. Non-tendre. Non-tendre. Mm-hmm. Ah, the thing that I decided to choose as my timestamp is the title, The Eyes of Tara Markov, which I believe is a reference to the film The Eyes of Laura Mars. Yeah. It's a 1978 Faye Dunaway movie in which a photographer starts having psychic flashes about a serial killer uh, and can see things from his perspective for a second. But I think that's what the title is referring to, and it's kind of an interesting parallel there. Atsy. All right. We discussed it briefly before, but sartorially speaking, which fashion choices in this issue did you feel were most worthy of note? There is a lot to talk about. There really is. I'm going to go to the skating scene. All of the ice skating outfits. Sarah Sims is wearing a pink 
jumpsuit with a pom-pom, a pink pom-pom hat on top of it, and some nice, like, white skates. And white very, gloves. I had her get up, too. It's very, very It's very nice. And Vic is dressed like he's going undercover as a dock worker mm-hmm. <laughs> when he is figure skating, which I think is maybe supposed to be how you can tell he's not a figure skater generally. Mm-hmm. But yeah, he's wearing jeans and a black turtleneck and one of those little stocking caps like a stevedore would wear. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of fun. After they have their fight on the floating mattress, Donna and Starfire both fell into the pool. Mm -hmm. And so when they are spectators for the Beast Boy Terra fight, which everyone is very enthusiastic to see these two beat the shit out of each other. Because they're both pretty annoying. And Mm -hmm. I thought that was kind of fun. But Donna and Starfire are both wearing rad robes with their hair up in towels. And Starfire's hair towel is huge because she's got so much hair. Well, that was what confused me. Because I think it's actually about the same size as Donna's. I guess a little bit bigger. But Starfire has a pink towel. She's wearing a blue robe with pink trim. And Donna is wearing a black robe with green trim and a green towel. How does hair that's made out of space fire get wet? Wouldn't that just put out the fire? When her head's wet, is she just bald until it dries? And then the hair turns back into fire? Isn't her hair only on fire when she's flying? I thought it was on fire all the time. No, I think it's just when she's flying. Because she's drawn with regular hair in most other scenes. Mm. And it totally gets wet like normal hair, as you can see. I think it's melting there. And by the next scene, I think that the, her hair fire is being doused. Look how much less hair she has there than she does a few scenes before. You are That's so much hair. Sir. That's so little hair. I think the, the water puts her hair out and she is going bald right there. And then in that panel, when she's wearing the towel on top of her head, it is because she is bald. And as soon as her scalp is dry and toasty, it will start to reignite her hair and it will grow back into its full voluminous space fire form. Man, that's, uh, that's so complicated. I'm not in charge of Tamaranian physiology or hairstyling. I think you watch Turbo Teen too many times and you just have this thing about stuff getting wet. Corey, that implies that it is possible to watch Turbo Teen too many times. Your entire premise is flawed. I've seen it once and I think I'm good. (laughs) Okay, more sartorial. Yeah. Terry Long has a tight, bright yellow turtleneck sweater. He just pulls it off really well. Yeah, it's a good fashion issue for Terry. It's a good general issue for Terry, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he makes sandwiches and wears a sweater. Yeah, he makes sandwiches and wears a sweater. Yeah. He's still a little bit creepy. When Dick and Donna are having their nice moment, he's like, Hey, Starfire, should we be worried that they're going to fuck? I read that much more charitably. Because he doesn't say <laughs> that. He says, should we be jealous? He says it with his eyes. Mmm, Corey, shouldn't we be jealous over those two? And he starts it off by saying, mmm. <laughs> okay, that It's a little bit weird. Okay. <laughs> I thought he had just taken he a sees... sip of his hot chocolate. I don't think like, so. Mm, I, think, good. Oh, I okay. think he sees Dick and Donna hugging because they're good friends. And Dick has just agreed to walk her down the aisle. And he goes, mmm. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Terry. Mmm, Corey. Shouldn't we be jealous over those two? And that's when... Yeah, Beast Boy chimes in. How about us doing some hugging and kissing? Ugh. Gross. Bad Gar. Bad. I do like that in that scene, Gar's wearing an orange shirt, which offsets his green skin. Yeah, no, it's a good look. It's it's a good look. Going for the Aquaman. You should do it more often. Mm -hmm. Let's take this party to the Bozone. 
What instances of one character calling another character a bozo, either literally or metaphorically, would you like to focus on? Boy, there was quite a lot. Yeah, many of them were directed from Terra to Beast Boy. Mm -hmm. Amongst those, we have leash it slime stuff mm -hmm. when he's being uh, creepy towards Starfire, which I really liked that one. She also, later on, in a fun flirty way calls him a skin crawling little maggot it was neither fun nor flirty i just i just like that she called him a slimy little maggot my favorite one i think the the bozone winner for me is tara telling gar that he is a crummy little green-faced freak that's pretty good too that's crummy yeah he, he is crummy he's a little, little crummy. crummy he's a real crumb bum i'm uh, sorry i try not to use language like that ouch I like when Tara refers to Raven as Witch Hazel Raven, just because she's like, I saw this thing that said Witch Hazel once, and that has the word <laughs> witch in it, and therefore I'll make an insult. Because as far as I know, that's what how that worked. Yeah. I was confused at first when Cyborg is guiding Beast Boy and Tara, giving them a tour of his apartment that he lives in. He's showing Tara and Beast Boy around, and he calls one of them Buck Teeth. I think it's Tara. That's what I thought, too. And I was like, dude, that's just kind of mean. That's not a friendly, like, oh, you little ragamuffin, give you a noogie type thing. That's mean as fuck if he's just like, yeah, I'm going to call you that. I think he was talking to Beast Boy because in the previous panel, Beast Boy had been dressing as up as a cartoon rabbit. So I think it was a reference to Beast Boy being a cartoon rabbit. Because at first I was just like, that's really fucking mean, dude. I know. I was like, that's harsh. Yeah. I had to walk that back in my mind and try to figure out a way in which it made more sense for Vic's character. And I think that's what is happening. Because he's not a mean-spirited no, guy. No, no. Yeah. Okay, That I like that. Rabbit. He's talking to Gar. Got it. Yeah. Other insults, we do have uh, the previous example of Raven being bad at small talk. I think that could be viewed as a pretty definitive zinger. It's like, hey, how come we aren't closer? It's because you're evil and corrupt. Ouch. Ouch, indeed. I like that Gar called Dick a bird brain. That was actually kind of a funny joke that Gar put together. It's mm. not great, but if there was more of that and the him being Thumper from Bambi and less of him being an adolescent Pepe Le Pew, I would like that so much more. He says he's got a new proposed name for Rob and he's like, we'll keep the bird thing as homage to your previous identity and you know you're the brains of our operation so your new superhero name will be bird brain eh? pretty good eh? yeah and then that's when dick tells him like yeah, i'm gonna give you away i'm gonna give everybody away yeah that was good you get a titan and you get a titan and you get a titan and you get a titan titans all around everybody look under your chairs there's a titan Favorite panel. Artwork in this, as usual, was good, despite the different inks. Mm -hmm. I think my favorite panel was on page 15, and I called it Battle Ladies. Ah. And it's the one where it's got Tara's eyeball camera superimposed over the fight scene. Oh. And then it's got, it's not a fight scene per se, because, well, the camera shows the fight scene, and then the background of the panel is the close-up faces of Donna and Starfire looking very determined and kind of talking shit to each other. And also you can tell that they're enjoying themselves in this combat. Yeah, it's that's a really cool panel. I had a couple. I really did enjoy the Beast Boy as Thumper panel. I thought that was fun. But I think my absolute favorite, it's a full page panel, which almost seems like cheating, but it's on page 11 and it's 
cyborg straining to work past his mechanical limitations and lift the five-ton weight. And it's really cool. Yeah, you can tell he's struggling. It's got those little wiggly lines everywhere. Uh-huh. And it's got the, like, sweat is pouring off of his face. And the weight itself is starting to crack. It reminds me a lot of there's a famous uh, Ditko Spider-Man episode where he's trapped under some material and has to struggle to lift it up. And it's really cool. And I like that panel very much. Also, as conflicted as I am about the kiss between Beast Boy and Terra, it's beautifully illustrated. It's silhouettes of them in front of a sunset, and it's really cool looking. Yeah, my runner-up was following that when she gets on the raft thing that goes back to the Titan Tower. Uh And it's just, yeah, I called it Lonely Titan Raft. Mm. It was nice. It was. Every issue of a Teen Titans comic has an Aqualad, the greatest of Teen Titans, and also a Speedy, the worst of Teen Titans. In this issue, who was your Aqualad? In this issue, my Aqualad was Cyborg. Because, on the rink, or off the rink, he doesn't accept his limitations. We talked earlier about this being a reset issue, and you know, characters previously going through what they've gone through. And he always had this this thing of the self-doubt. Mm-hmm. And I like in this issue, he's like, fuck all that. Like, I got this robot body, but I can still push myself and become better than I am. I'm not constrained by this robot body. Yeah, no, I really appreciated that too. I had Cyborg as my choice too. Yeah, and like I said, I like that he still has issues. He's still dealing with things. He's still growing as a character and isn't constantly getting reset back to where he started. This comic, the New Teen Titans, and especially from this era, gets compared to the X-Men a lot. I think because it was DC's biggest seller at the time, it's a team book about young characters, and it has kind of a soap opera quality to it, in a similar way that the X-Men did. One way in which the X-Men, I feel like, generally does a much better job than the Teen Titans is you get actual character growth in the X-Men, and characters change and evolve and go through different things as the series progresses. In this comic, there is way more of a tendency to go three steps forward and then three steps back and start right back where you started. And the fact that they are not doing that with Cyborg, as opposed to the way they are with other characters, I really appreciated. And I wish there was more of that, and hopefully going forward there will be more of that. Mm -hmm. But yeah, that's why cyborg was my choice also for the aqualad conversely who did you have as your speedy um gar yeah both in terms of him being a sleazy fuckwad and in terms of it going back to his default setting of i'm insecure and that's why i'm an asshole all the time i'm just fucking sick of it we've seen that story before he had theoretically gotten through it at least twice now Come up with something else for him to do or have him pull a Wally and leave the team. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm over it. Hub looks very serious right now, you guys. I'm a very serious man. Shit, is that everything? Yeah, it's everything. Well then, Corey, I have but one more question I must put to you, and that question is as follows. Wapoot! What is Aqualad probably up to in the year of our Lord, 1984, and the month of our Lord, May? Well... It's come up in the past that Aqualad is a fan of music. Mm-hmm. Definitely got into some hippie stuff. And uh, things get weird when art and finances come together. Oh, they do? Yeah. So back from his hippie days, he had made some connections. Initially, he met Stevie Nicks, 
who, you know, famous singer, Fleetwood Sure, Mark, sure. Through Stevie. Witchy woman. Yeah, yeah. He got to know... Witch Hazel, I bet Tara would call Oh, her. yeah. Zing. Zing. Anyway, through through her, he met Mick Fleetwood, you know, name, namesake of Fleetwood Mac. And, and they just sort of struck up a casual friendship. And, they, like, they're both really into staying hydrated and things like that. <laughs> sure. And, uh... Mick Fleetwood, <laughs> famous hydration aficionado. Uh, you, you know, you gotta sustain <laughs> yourself for the, the party, right? If you can't... Gotcha. Yeah. Makes a hangover his way mm. easier. Mm. So Mick calls him... He's like, I can't do the accent. Could you give me a Fleetwood? What's he gonna say? He's just like, hey, uh, buddy, I, I jam, I need some help. British, right? Oi! Oh, I need a jam! <laughs> I need you to help me out! Oh, I do! And so Aqualad's like, okay, man, no problem. What do you need? And he's like, I'm going fucking bankrupt. And uh, so Aqualad tries to help him out, and uh, it's it just doesn't work. It goes to court. Aqualad feels terrible. And so he just mopes about the whole rest of the month until the 23rd when he goes to see the Temple of Doom <laughs> Indiana Jones movie to get his mind off things. That's what he was up to, probably, I guess. Okay. Well... Those things may have been part of what Aqualad was probably up to. In addition to that, he was thinking about baseball a lot. <laughs> okay. Because it was on his mind he found out that one of his favorite players, Ted Williams, was about to have his uh, number retired by the Boston Red Sox. I thought that was a pretty good time. But he had also, in addition to thinking about baseball, he'd been thinking about twins because he had talked to the Teen Titans and heard about their recent uh, run-ins with Thunder and Lightning. It's like, baseball? twins i should go to minneapolis so he went to minneapolis took in a twins game during that game a fly ball was hit that never came down what sounds more impressive than it is it got stuck in the roof of the metro dome oh which is still pretty impressive but not as impressive as if it just hadn't ever fallen down the thing is aqualad was there he had taken his friend beaky to the game and he was like beaky go get that ball and Beaky pretended not to hear him. He didn't want to go up by those lights. He was kind of drunk. He just pretended he couldn't understand what Aqualad was saying. So, after the game, Aqualad was kind of disturbed. He's like, I always thought I had this bond with Beaky. We're supposed to have this telepathic bond, but I guess technically a pelican isn't sea life. Maybe I don't have a telepathic bond with Beaky? He did. Mm. I should practice my bird calls. And because he was in Minneapolis, he went to a record store and was like, let's see, what what album on bird calls can i get oh here's one it's called when doves cry that'll probably <laughs> help me practice my bird calls uh, they bought the album and he took it home and it didn't so much help him with his bird calls but he and beaky listened to that record together and they became closer and their telepathic bond was stronger than ever thanks prince yeah and that is what aqualad was probably up to busy month Bankruptcy, movies, music, baseball. Uh-huh. The big four. Was that four? I think so. Okay. Thank you so much for joining us, dear listeners. Yes. If you would <laughs> like to... Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. We are we are out of it, man. Um, yeah, it's man. been an adventure. But uh, I'm looking forward to seeing what the rest of the Judas contract has to bring us. Likewise. We'll find out who that blondie-haired man that you're curious about is. And we will be back next week with another episode featuring the Dynamic Defenders. That'll be fun. Yeah. In the meantime, if you would like to get into touch with us, you can do so at ttwasteland at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter, on Tumblr, on Instagram, on Facebook. Mm -hmm. All of the ways. 
If you would like to leave us a review on iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you find podcasts, I'd really appreciate that. That would be nice. We've recently gotten our 101st review on iTunes. Thank you. Uh, So that's a nice time. Thanks, guys. If you would like to donate to us monetarily, you can do so at patreon.com slash ttwasteland. If you do so, you'll get a bunch of free content that is exclusive to our donors, including, I think within the next week, I'm going to be putting up a new episode of What the Duck, a podcast most foul, but with a W because he's a duck. That's the full name of the show. The podcast that comes out once a month that I host with Lisa, where we talk about Howard the Duck. We just recorded one about Giant Size Man Thing number four, and it was really fun, and I hope you will like it. But if you can't donate there, then just stay tuned at this bat time and this bat channel for more bat episodes? Mm-hmm. Bat? What? I don't know. bat episodes. No. <laughs> no? <laughs> just saying. Just bats. Bat. The same bat. 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 It's fun. <laughs> All right. Anyway, thanks again, everybody. Yeah, really. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for bearing with us. Looking forward to making it to episode 200 on the horizon. Oh, my God. I know. Can you imagine such a number? Yes. It's the highest number there is. It's pretty big. I'm pretty sure that there is not a number bigger than 200. I've got some research to do into numerology. <laughs> That's what numerology is, right? Study of uh, research. Study of research. Yep. Yep. Numerology. So I'm going to go do that. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Bye. Bye. <laughs> and they knew it. Oh, I thought you called me a Nazi. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's artsy. Oh, good. Yeah. (laughs) Nice. I don't think you're a Nazi at all. Well, thank you. (laughs) Sure.